everybody, Mark Summers here. Welcome to Mark Summers Unwraps. Today we're going musical, and we're going to talk to two ladies from the group called Lucius. And uh, we're going to find out what a, a collaboration is like. How difficult is it to uh, stay together for 20 years and be so successful? Uh, by the way, it wasn't too difficult with these ladies. We've been singing together for 19 years now. So uh, it was a long time before something really happened, but we just kept had it. We're going to talk about the value of working together as a team. The first song we sang was Happiness is a Warm Gun. Yeah. Which is, we used to have a recording of it and it's it's Deep just about the, vault. the worst thing you've ever heard. Uh, what it's like to tour with Roger Waters. Roger walks in the door and he's just this tall, lanky, you know, <laughs> just presence with the piercing blue eyes and he's just looking. And uh, working with somebody's ex, is it easy or difficult? You know, I think it's archaic to think, like, just because you don't have a romantic relationship, you have to lose that person from your life. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Mark Summers Unwraps. Music plays an integral part, I think, in everybody's life because uh, if you get in the car and don't turn on the radio and listen to some music or when you're making dinner or just, uh, you know, taking a walk, sometimes I put on the ear pods and, and listen to music. So it can uh, cheer you up. It can put you in a particular mood. Uh, but there's something magical about music to me. And it is new. That beautiful song is by today's guest, the ladies who call themselves Lucius. And um, I'm going to read a little bit here. Lucius has been lauded by the New York Times for their luscious, luminous, lifting lullabies, praised by NPR for their charisma and charm, and described by Rolling Stone as the best band you may not have heard of yet. Billboard regarded Second Nature as full of lush production that's complemented by the chilling harmonies of Jess Wolf and Holly Lessig. Variety proclaims that with Second Nature, Lucius is no longer 20 feet or even a couple of yards from stardom, but reclaiming the spotlight for themselves. Welcome to Jess Wolf and Holly Lessig. Ladies, thanks so much for being here today. Thank uh, you. Thanks for having us. How would you describe what you do? Ooh, <laughs> a two-headed monster. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're two voices as one. We're... Um, we're a duo, but we sing as one voice. So oftentimes that means we're in unison. Sometimes we're in harmonies, but um, the way that you look at us is, you know, we dress identically. We want you to see and hear us as, as one, as one unit. And how do I describe you? Because some people say, well, they're the, they're the best backup group ever, but you're not a backup group. Mm -hmm. You're uh, stars and you <laughs> tour. You. And yes, you are. <laughs> and every time I hear it, you have such a distinct sound and it stands out. And, and uh, I'm, a, I'm nervous today. I'll tell you why. I've been doing this for two years and we've had on Anthony Ramos, who's been on Broadway and doing every movie and uh, Al Roker and Guy Fieri. You're the first music group we've had on. Oh. And I love music, but I know nothing about it. And so uh, forgive me for some of the stupidity of uh, some of the questions I might ask, but I'm just curious because I've been following you just because you're kind of a member of the family because you know my daughter went to school with her. Uh, but every time you come on television, uh, I'm sort of locked in or I hear you on the radio because your sound is so unique. Um, let's talk a little bit. Just, you probably don't remember the last time we saw each other. 
Um, maybe maybe soccer practice in like third grade. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to tell you. You won't remember this. <laughs> Meredith was going. My daughter, uh, who uh, you might know, who are listening, and uh, Jess and, and Meredith went to school together. She was going to Emerson, and you were going to Berkeley, and I was coming around a corner on Boylston Street, and there you were, and you gave me this big hug, and we had a nice conversation yeah. about what was going on. That's right. Yeah. So that was, what year did you graduate from? 2007. Mm-hmm. And wow. so she was the year before. So it must have been 2005. Yeah, somewhere 2000. in that, that neck of the woods. Yeah. Did you love Boston? I loved it for school. Yeah. It's, I think every kid should go to school in Boston. Yeah. It's so accessible and clean and... Um, there's just so many college students. So <laughs> it's, it's everywhere. Fun. It's fun. Everywhere you go. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember when, when you were going to Calabasas High School, were you in theater? Were you in music groups? Yeah, we did. We did. Meredith and I did musical theater together since I was six years old from Gloria. Oh, my. I remember, I remember that. So, Round Meadow. Yeah. We did all those plays together through middle school uh, and then high school. Which is wild. Which is insane. Yeah. And uh, did you always know that you wanted to sing? Uh, why Berkeley? Uh, yeah, there were, I never wavered, and luckily my parents saw that and uh, didn't, you know, make me run from it. I guess. <laughs> Thank God. They supported that, um, just because I was so steadfast and I was so I was so sure of it. When Holly came in earlier and I was saying to her that she's the only person uh, I've done a deep dive on and couldn't find a thing on the internet <laughs> about her, which is, I was trying to figure out how, how the heck that happens in this uh, day and age. Um, so you grew up in Cleveland. Yes. Tell me about your life. I grew up in Cleveland. Um, my Most of my family were visual artists, um, some financially successful and others not (laughs) um but all very supportive of the arts so um i was lucky with that you know and similarly to jess's parents they were like yeah you know if you want to do music or something that's what you do just go for it yeah and so i i kind of around junior high high school decided i wanted to do music and then got into singing and i was like that's what i want to do i'm gonna apply to berkeley if i don't get in I don't know, you know, what What I'll, I didn't have a plan B. That was my plan. So um, luckily I got in. Was the uh, Rock and Roll <laughs> Hall of Fame up uh, at some point? Yeah, I did do one field trip to Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in high school. That <laughs> that cool. was it? Yeah. Uh, I've been there once or twice, and an interesting place. My goodness, the uh, the exhibits they have there are pretty cool. Yeah. So you both end up in Boston, uh, early mm-hmm. 2000s. Yeah. Tell me about the first time you met. I don't know if I remember the very first time we met. It was definitely in the dorms. Yeah. My first friend in college, Andrea, was Holly's Mm -hmm. roommate. Mm -hmm. So we had met in an orientation group and uh, we lived, you know, one, uh, I think I was one floor above you guys in the dorms. Yeah. Where were the dorms? Were they off Mass Ave? I'm trying to remember. Mass Ave and Boylston. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. I think they're much fancier now. Yeah. But they were fun. And, uh, so we, we ended up spending a lot of time together as a group. Mm-hmm. Um, and there weren't many ladies at Berkeley. Really? Yeah, I think it was like 30% female at the time. Yeah. That's interesting. And like 70% male guitar player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which was there, fine with us. Yeah, uh, that I'm sure. <laughs> there was a, a theory. I was working on a project with Livingston Taylor over uh, at uh, Berkeley. He was our teacher. Yeah. He was one of your teachers? Yeah, yeah. He's an interesting man, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I could tell you stories off the air about, <laughs> about my experiences with Livingston. But um, 
there was a theory that if you went to Berkeley, you never graduated, that you always found a job or found somebody who would take you out of the place before. Did both of you graduate? Technically, Mm-mm. we walked. <laughs> Yeah. Wait a minute, what's that mean? <laughs> we we both have credits remaining. So and we're we're gonna keep it that way because I think it, it uh, Yeah, it's like a good luck charm yeah. somehow. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So when did you decide to leave and why did you decide to leave? We we went for four years. Oh yeah. I mean I've I fulfilled my part of the deal, but my teacher spaced one of my teachers spaced on like filling in, you know, my credits. Really? Yeah. So I have and so do you, right? Like a, a red binder that's you open it up and it says this is not an official document. <laughs> that's what we walked oh my gosh. at graduation. <laughs> <laughs> and my teacher was like, Oh, sorry about that. You know, you can go to the bursar's office and and sort it out. And I just never did. Never did. So like, eh, whatever. Well, you know, <laughs> I've been doing this for 100 years. I've never been asked, did you go to college and did you graduate? Something tells me you guys were never asked that question either. No. No, right. <laughs> so, so you decide to move to New York. What was the first time you sang, though, and knew that this thing was magical? Had to be at Berkeley. We ha- yeah, it was at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. We, we had a night um, over at, at my apartment on the Fenway. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were drinking wine and hanging out and talking about our you know, musical upbringings, and Holly and I got to talking and realized we had a lot of similar influences. Who did you like? I loved Roy Orbison and Sam Cooke, and I loved all the, like, 60s rock and roll, and um, luckily my dad had real good taste in music. And um, What was and, your first concert you went to? Oh, my gosh. You know what? It, it wasn't that cool. It was, I think it was The Offspring. I don't nice. even know who that is. Remember that mm-hmm. song, and all, um, and all the girls think you're pretty fly for a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I know I'm going to get you to sing today. Yeah. But that was, that was fantastic. <laughs> and Holly, what, what were your influences? I was a huge Bowie fan. I was um, really big into oldies. Like, I always listened to the oldies channel. That's something that we clicked over immediately, you know, old school soul and rock and roll and that kind of thing. And I loved R&B, and I was, you know, I was singing jazz at school um, and that kind of thing. But, yeah, that was that was I was mostly mostly where we connected was like, oh, we used to take long car rides with our dads and listen to the to the oldies and sing along and be, you know, inspired by all these costumes and things that they used to do back in the day. Yeah. Do you remember the first song you sang together? Yeah. Yeah, so because of that, we thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool to do um, a girl group version of the White Album, but live? Oh, my. So we decided to get together the next day after this wine night, and we did. We met at Obonpan mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> started learning the songs. We And our the first song we sang was Happiness is a Warm Gun. Yeah. Which is... We have a recording of it, and it's it's Deep just about the, vault. the worst thing you've ever heard. But, <laughs> Why? Oh, you know, just the first time you try something. Yeah, trying to figure it out. But we did, there was something that clicked that day. Like, we just felt, you know, we're very different personalities, but there was a yin and yang thing going on. And mm. um, it was very easy to work together. We were excited about it. We were diligent. And um, we just sort of figured that, um, we both were fans of each other's voices. I'd heard Holly sing and she had heard me and um, together something kind of magical happened um, when we were in the studio. 
And that was, we both wanted to sing lead, not, um, but we didn't want to just take turns singing lead. So in the studio, we decided, or maybe it just even happened by accident, right? We yeah. just started singing and we were singing in unison because we were both singing the melody. And we listened back and we're like, oh, wow, it's sort of like Phil Spector or Elliot Smith, where there's these doubled vocals on the recordings, except we can do it live because there's two of us. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of our aha moment. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That, uh, you know, the purity of your voice, if that's the term that's proper for this, certain sounds stick out to me as magical. Mm. This will be a weird reference, you'll probably think, but... Karen Carpenter to me was spectacular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There has never been a voice before or after that yeah. came close to that to me. Another yeah. one is Cass Elliot. Mm-hmm. I loved Cass Elliot's voice. And there's a, a live recording of her in a nightclub in Chicago that I play over and over in, in the car because it's so Cass. Mm. And I think about you guys together in that same, you know, genre of what you do is so different, so cool. That nobody can come close to, you know, duplicating that sound. And I think that's what makes you guys stand out. So you you move to New York. Yep. And tell me about this place you move into that has a recording studio inside. Mm-hmm. We didn't know about it at the time. Yeah. I had found it on Craigslist. <laughs> and actually, the week before, we had found another house on Craigslist, which we were very excited about, but that fell through. Yeah, so because we, we were trying to find a house for nine musicians. Is that right? <laughs> oh, I didn't yeah. realize. I thought it was just the two of you. No. So nine of you. Yeah. yeah. We weren't all in a band together. No, no. Um, and so we show up at this house, and it looked interesting in the in the um, ad, except it it was missing a lot of important elements. Such as? Such as a Grand Steinway piano in the living room. <laughs> A recording studio in the basement with like 5,000 records that were just left behind by this family who we eventually found out um, the Bromley family, um, Buster Bromley and Faye Bromley. Mm -hmm. They had a music school in Ditmas Park, Brooklyn. And just left? They passed. Oh, they did? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there were no relatives to sort of... No, Pick they, up from well, there? I think the relatives sold it. I mean, I th- it's it was a massive house, you know, yeah. four stories, including the basement, and a lot of upkeep. And they sold it to the, these Turkish brothers mm-hmm. um, <laughs> who rented it out to us. And what was your rent back then? Do you remember? Oh, God. I don't know. Maybe like... I feel like it was like 2,800 But it was divided by nine people, so... Was it? No, I think it was like four grand for the entire house. But there was nine people. Yeah, so you divide that so it's not bad. Yeah. No, I think um, my room was the most expensive, and I think my rent was like 750 yeah. a month. Yeah. God. And did all the, re- nice? yeah, think about those days. And so did all the recording equipment work? No, not not really. And we had to put a lot of time and care into it. There was mold, and there was all sorts of. Yeah. You know, it was it had been left unattended for a long time. Yeah. Vermin? Yeah. <laughs> it's New York, of course. It was, New York. <laughs> but it was pretty special and we did write our first real songs on that piano and record in that studio. Um Danny had set up a little studio down there and yeah. we really 
we really did use the space. Mm-hmm. Um, we had little concerts in our living room, and um, we even had, you know, visitors. Oh, yeah. We had <laughs> Do you have a cover charge? Supernatural kind. <laughs> supernatural visitors. <laughs> oh, oh, oh we, really? We were sure that Buster Bromley came to visit us <clears throat> on yeah. several occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what were you doing to make a living at that point? Um, oh my God. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear this. Barista, waitress, nanny, tour guide at Madison Square Garden. And I also worked at um, like a not, not-for-profit not jazz outreach program for mm-hmm. for um, like high schoolers. But yeah, like two or three of those, you know, at a time. <laughs> to pay the bills. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Jess, what were you doing? I was a I was a an agent. I was working for a, a music agency, so booking bands. Booking, really? Yeah. How'd you um, get that job? Well, I studied music business in college, and I ran the record label at school, and I wanted to make sure that we weren't to be duped. You know, so um, that's probably helped you to this day. It's definitely helped. Yeah, and I um, so at first I was an assistant to an agent. Um, but I really didn't like him. And then I moved on to another agency and they actually gave me the opportunity to be a booking agent. But I, I, you know, it was dreadful. I mean, it was sales essentially. Yeah. Um, Last thing you wanted to be doing. The last thing I wanted to be doing, it wasn't, but it was interesting. And I did meet um, a lot of people and learn. Um, And so for about a year and a half, I did that, maybe two years. And then... Um, meanwhile, you know, every Wednesday night we were doing open mics. I was driving um, to work while Holly would sign up. Yeah. Because you had to sign up early in the day to get a good slot. So you're in Manhattan now going to different uh, Monday night clubs? Actually, the the open mic was in Brooklyn at yeah. this place called Park Bar School. 4. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace. It yeah. is no longer there. but um, Nothing is. Yeah. Yeah. I was just back in New York recently, you know, since COVID, all the places I used to hang out, don't exist anymore. It's very depressing. You know, part of the reason this uh, podcast started was um, the theory that people watch a movie or go to a Broadway show or a concert and they go, boy, those are the luckiest people in the world. And you go, no, you have no idea how much time they put in before they got to that point. And Mm -hmm. and the story you're telling is exactly that. Mm -hmm. You got to be willing to do all the other stuff, but not lose the passion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did you not lose your passion? I think having each other probably because I I think we definitely had lulls, both of us, at different times. So then you have the other person to be like, get up, we're writing today or whatever, (laughs) when you would have probably just, you know, not. Yeah. So I think that's been really helpful because it is hard to be a solo artist and like maintain, you know, that kind of motivation through all that stuff. So I think that was a big part of it, you know. Yeah. Did you ever get depressed? I used to get depressed all the time. I was, you know, I'm yeah. trying to do stand-up comedy, uh, which was depressing enough. But, you know, to go out there and bomb three nights in a row and hoping that the club owner was going to let you come back. Um, and I always – I came out here saying I'm not going to take a, a job outside of show business. Mm. And I never did. The, the worst job I ever took, I was a disc jockey at a place called – do you remember a restaurant called The Hungry Tiger out here? I was a disc jockey at a Hungry Tiger restaurant in the marina, Mm. and I wanted to shoot myself (laughs) because it's not really what I wanted to do, but it was as close to not being in show business as as I wanted to get. Um, And so uh, was the first big break uh, South by Southwest? Is that the the thing that kind of made it happen? I think Tiny Desk maybe was the first 
time that we saw a real shift in our career, like we were on the road and people were showing up to our shows who weren't our friends or our family members. <laughs> and um, So tell me, what is Tiny Desk? I don't know. Tiny Desk Concert is um, uh, All Songs Considered, Bob Boylan, NPR. It's a very um, famous now, uh, I, what do you call it? Like Session. A, like yeah, a, sessions. Online sessions. Where you can, where... Um, an artist or a band goes to Bob Boylan's desk and performs um, stripped down at the desk, and it's on, and it's become like a huge um, sensation, actually. Was this in New York? It was in D.C. And how'd you get that? Somebody had sent our EP to Bob, and he heard Don't Just Sit There. Mm. That was our the first song I think he connected to. And then he invited us to come and, and do the session. And um, we knew it was a big opportunity. And um, after that, we really, when they, when they posted it, you know, we had like a million views in the first hmm. couple weeks or something. Yeah. And um, Did the phone start to ring then? Just, yeah, just people showing up to our shows. I mean, yeah. really like a, a significant difference. Yeah. And that was maybe a month before South By. Okay. And we didn't have a label. We had an agent and we had a manager. We didn't have a label yet. We didn't have publishing yet. And all of that changed at South by. It was just all of the, you know, thing it, it was just in the air for us, I think. Yeah. We so were, was we it were that, ready for it. That appearance that got you to South by Southwest, somebody heard it? No. We were going to South by Southwest. Before. Mm-hmm. But I think just you must have had a good agent who was able to book that. Yeah. I th- it was our agent, our our manager, and uh, I don't know. I, being ready for the moment, yeah. I think, is a huge. You know, we were just so we had worked so hard for so long. We, you know, we had already. We've been singing together for nineteen years now. So wow, uh, it was a long time before something really happened. But we just kept at it. We wanted to make sure we were developing something that was uniquely our own, the thing that stands out, the thing that sets you apart. And we wanted to make sure that when the time would come, that we had a big opportunity that we were ready to take it. And mm-hmm. I think that is what happened. Being at the right place at the right time is key, but being prepared to be in the right place at the right time, because you can blow it by going in one of those things and dying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's not many second chances in this industry. Right. The word gets out and it's, you know, have a nice life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you do South by Southwest and then what happens? I remember... St. David's Cathedral, yeah, which was a big, I can't remember who put on that um, showcase, but yeah, uh, it was, it's this beautiful cathedral in Austin and we got in there and you can just feel the magic of a, of a space and a time and we performed our set and you could hear a pin drop and at the end of our set, we had a standing ovation, and we got the record deal and the publishing deal that day. Yeah. Wow. So um, it, it did feel like it came to one moment, but again, being ready for it, and also, you know, it was all the other things preparing you for that sure. time. Yeah. You, but you were willing to put in the time, and you developed your act. Yeah, and you if you really want it, and... You know, you kind of have to make the decision like there's no other way you have to do this. Mm-hmm. Then you have to put in everything because someone's always willing to work harder. It doesn't matter if they're more 
talented or less talented, actually. Talent almost has nothing to do with it. You yeah. Know? <laughs> it it's, it's the people who, you know, I remember talking to uh, somebody in the industry at one point, and he said he knows so many talented people who never get arrested because they figured, well, I'm so talented, they should just come to me. But it's the people who work harder and stay focused and don't give up that seem to be more successful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's just... And then when you have both working at the same time, it can be, you know, yeah. stratospheric. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about Roger Waters. <laughs> I got to hear this. What do you want to know? Well, yeah, I mean, all of it. Because, I mean, uh, did your head explode when he came over and said, you know, you want to go and do this with me or what? He was an icon then, big time, for 30 years. Yeah. Well, we first got asked to, uh, he was doing a Newport set, like a secret Newport set. And My Morning Jacket was going to be his backing band. So they were going to do their set, and then they were going to bring him out at the end. <clears throat> and so they, we got asked to do, you know, would you, would you be interested in singing backgrounds for this Newport gig? And we were like, yeah, well, you know, we'd love to. So we, we went. We went to Newport, and they had set up a rehearsal the day before. Day before? Yeah. And – um. We had learned Jim James from My Morning Jacket had told us, you know, like, oh, well, I've been in touch with him and you should at least learn, you know, these couple of songs. So we learned the songs that Jim thought that we should learn. And we got to rehearsal and Roger walks in the door and he's just this tall, lanky, you know, <laughs> just presence with the piercing blue eyes and he's just looking. Yeah, he looks like a pirate. Yeah. You know? He does? And he sound, he, yeah, he's he's very intimidating. Yeah. Um, just because of his size or just because of his... All of it. All of it, huh? Yeah. Wow. His look, his voice, his demeanor. Yeah. And I think the first thing he said to us was about our uh, dollar go home video. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was like, oh, okay. He really, he does his homework, that guy. Yeah. Um, So he had complimented us on our, one of our videos for one of our music videos. And then, um, you know, rehearsal continues on and we're singing our songs, this going along with the set list. And we were on like the first couple of songs. And then um, a song comes along that we're not singing on, that at least we thought. (laughs) So we sat down. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the song continues and they're playing and and I guess he was anticipating we were going to be, you know, singing at this one point and we don't. And he looks up at us and we're just sitting there like, oh, what's happening? <laughs> Are we supposed to? <laughs> He's just like, man up. We're like, <laughs> he yells across the No. Room, man up. Yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> and we're like, and and Jim... You know, yeah, he's like, oh, this isn't one of the ones they were singing on. <laughs> so, do you know goes, the words to what he wants you to man up to? <laughs> he goes, they're singing on every song. Oh my! So, yeah, he we had went... already printed all the lyrics for us. Yeah, in anticipation, I guess. Unbeknownst yeah. to you, however. Yeah. Right. So we went back to the hotel room that night and just, you know, crammed for finals, basically. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the show was the next day, and it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, and after that, he asked us to um, record his new record with him and then come out on... He actually called us and he said, you know, there's this concert that's going to happen in the Coachella Valley with... I wanted to um, ask you about this. Bob Dylan, The Who, Neil Young, uh, The Rolling Stones, Paul McCartney. You want to do it with me? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm busy. So what do you do? I mean, you kind of, uh, with all due respect, sort of shat yourselves, I would imagine, (laughs) at this point, right? I mean... 
Yeah, I guess. I mean, it was wild. We were like, of course we'll do it. That sounds like... Insane. Yeah, what an opportunity and what an experience. So you're with Roger on stage and he's being incredibly generous to you guys. He he announces your name. Yeah, he he wanted us to be us on stage with him. It was really important for him that we were featured and a focal point and the femininity of what we do was, you know, a balance to this sort of like harsh intensity um, in his in his show. So it was a really cool thing. And he, he elevated that. Were you intimidated by being on stage with those other people or, you know, around hanging with those folk? I don't know. Not really. I mean, like maybe initially, but never really felt, everyone felt very welcoming and like equally. I mean, even though a lot of those performers have done so many things over their career they were they were like little schoolgirls too you know they were like really excited to be part of the thing really you know? yeah that's cool to hear yeah yeah i think they there's a respect factor i think there yeah, amongst think all so. those folks yeah if you can't acknowledge and appreciate when cool things happen in in what it is that you do like how can you ever really enjoy yourself you know like how can when I think at some point it becomes like why do it you know if you don't still get excited by something or have something that feels fulfilling and if you can't acknowledge it in the moment there's something off there's something wrong Is there anybody you think who would intimidate you ladies in any way, shape, or form? Somebody you haven't met yet who you could say, oh, my God, if I was on stage with them, that would be insane. For me, I feel like it'd be Shade because she's just so cool. <laughs> it's like, how is she so cool? I don't know. <laughs> so, I always loved her growing up, and she's I she'd be one that I'd be afraid to meet because I'd be like, you're too cool for me. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Jess, anybody that I uh, stands up? I think Kate Bush because – She's just, she's such an anomaly, and you never know what you're going to get. And I would want to impress her, you know. As a vocalist, I'd want to impress her, and she'd be hard to impress. Yeah. Interesting. Um, But we, you know, I think because we've been, we've had so many opportunities to sing with different types of artists and of all levels, and um, we've sort of, it gets less scary. You know, you just, you realize that you're a part of that world and, you know, you're no, you're no different really other than level of fame maybe. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's good that you still can get excited. I mean, oh, excited, do you get nervous sure. when you go out and perform still? Yes. Yeah. Cause I still do. Oh, and yeah. I think that's key. Yeah. Um, and, and new opportunities that you put yourself in kind of make, my body tingle and go, why am I even putting myself in this position? But if you don't, what's the point of doing any of this? You know? Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's crazy. So I, I did um, a music video with Good Charlotte called Last Night. Uh-huh. And oh my it, gosh. Was, it was crazy. And I'd never done a music video before. And I had no idea how crazy, intense, difficult, how many takes. I mean, the whole thing was the craziest 
couple of days of my life. I watched, uh, I'm trying to think, the, the Turn It Around video. <laughs> yeah. How long did it take to shoot that? One day, oh. I think. That's it? Yeah, or maybe, maybe Seriously. two. Maybe, maybe two. two. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a director is hired, a producer is hired. Do they come to you and say, here's here's the concept, this is what we want to do, and you guys yes, no, or this is fine, but let's change that? How does it work? Yeah, a lot of times you'll send out a song to a bunch of directors and they'll um, sort of audition their idea, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, and you'll, you. nar- you'll narrow it down and, and get a couple of proper treatments and then see which one... But we've always, you know, been pretty collaborative with the, like for that video, we worked with a woman, Mimi Cave, who um, did a couple of videos for us and she's awesome. And she was, yeah, she was, we were always sending things back and forth and. um, And she had done that Toon Yards video. Yeah. And that's how we had heard about her. Yeah. So you see her do some other work and you go, ooh, that's, that's who we need to work with. Oh yeah. Uh, I got it. Wildly creative. Yeah. Um, I mean, the editing is key, but you got to have it. You know, they all say, we'll fix it in post. Well, unless you get it in the studio, there's right. nothing to fix. So yeah. you got to make sure you get it when it's there. What's it cost to shoot one of those videos? Oh, my gosh. Well, you, just like anything, you can spend endlessly. Yeah. Um, I feel like we had 25 grand to shoot that thing. Yeah. Less than was... I thought. I would have thought it would have been more than that. Yeah. No. Not, it, was, it was that at mm-hmm. the time. Um, and you know, at the time, a music video could really change your life. Change your life. Yeah, back when MTV days would launch artists, that was one thing. But even today, I think if you get the right one, it, it can if make a difference. If you get the difference. right one, but it's definitely less. Yeah, because the visibility isn't there Visi- anymore. Well, yeah. yeah, there's just so much saturation. Yeah, it's almost like yeah. Yeah, there used to be three networks, and now there's you right. know 147 channels I've never heard of. And so. now people yeah. want 10 seconds of something. Yes, yeah, the attention span is is minor. I have this theory, um, you know, my wife Alice, and and um, she only wants to hear albums that are in the studio. Mm-hmm. I prefer to get live uh, because. When you go to a concert, it's so much better than Mm -hmm. listening to it on your CD at home or however you listen to your music these days. Um, I watched uh, watched so much about you guys the last couple of days. The KEXP (laughs) live performance um, video was just amazing. The sound was just insane. Uh, Were you pleased with that performance? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was really an exciting time. And they do a beautiful job of covering visually and... um, audio um of capturing something that's yeah. like you know on the pulse yeah and that's hard because a, a lot of times when you're like a live concert and stuff is so wonderful there in the moment with like the way that the acoustics work in the room and mm. it does not always translate you yep. know directly to tape yeah. so to speak so no it, it worked well and for those of you watching and listening now uh who know Lucius that's one thing but if you don't and you're just getting familiarized uh, go on uh line KEXP live performance uh wow uh mm-hmm. it will introduce you to these ladies and yeah. your head will explode uh let's talk about uh how the look happened <laughs> <laughs> Which look? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's changed throughout the years. Yeah. Uh, you know, from the blonde. Well, originally, it was, have there always been wigs? Uh, no, it wasn't always wigs. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started off as natural hair, but um, same haircut. Yeah. And then it moved to bleach blonde bob. Which was a cool look, I thought. Oh, we, yeah. We loved it. And then we ruined our hair. Yeah. <laughs> Did you Not really? Not maintainable. <laughs> yeah, because we were touring so much, we thought, 
and you know, it's a lot of upkeep. And we were in Europe, and we're like, gosh, we really need to do our hair. Why don't we try doing it ourselves? Yeah. <laughs> How hard could it be? Big mistake, huh? Big mistake. And after that tour, um, we realized we were going to have to, we basically shaved half of our hair and uh, colored it whatever color it would take, which was red. <laughs> that was the only color, yeah. That was the only color that would really stick. Yeah. And were you doing it by yourself <laughs> still at red. this point? No, no. no. <laughs> we, we, we learned our lesson at least. <clears throat> And then um, after it, that, we actually went bleach again. Did we before the yes. wigs? Oh, the, yeah, you're right. For the Roger stuff. We, you're totally and right. And then we were like, why don't we wear wigs? Yeah. We could have saved our hair. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was silly. Most people wear wigs on stage, you know. Um, so we bought wigs. Yeah. Um, although I will say, it's never the same. It doesn't look the same. It's never the same. If you're rocking out on stage, are you it afraid it's going to come move. off? Or it just doesn't move. No, the it same. just doesn't move. Yeah, it just doesn't yeah. look the same on your face. You can always tell. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and then eventually we're like, okay, well, we're going to go natural, but we're going to put extensions in our hair. Yeah. So we so had go really extremely long. long hair, and then we chopped it all off again. And yeah. Now we're back to normal, natural. Full circle, back to the Bob. beginning. Yes. Yeah. And was this the theory of two voices is one, so therefore we should be one looking? Yeah, like when you hear a choir, see a choir, you know, they're all wearing matching robes. You want to visualize them the same way as you hear them. You want to see them as a unit. You want to hear them as a unit. You do hear them as a unit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people kept writing about us, two voices as one, you know, two-headed beast, like, you know, kept making these analogies. And we thought, why not expand upon that? We were already coordinating our outfits from early on, but why not dress exactly the same so that when they see us, um, they're getting what they hear as mm -hmm. well. And it, it was a cool hook Well, that it's, remains. It's one thing, like, we don't have to have a set on stage. You yeah. know, if we're just wearing matching outfits, it's actually, it's, it's our, it's a set yeah. Already. Yeah. So we show up to a festival and people don't know us, but they see us. It's already something to hook people. Mm -hmm. And it was fun. I mean, we we always were inspired by artists who had strong visual representation of their music, like David Bowie, Bjork, James Brown. I mean, yeah. the Kinks, like the Beatles, you know, every you know, all these people who took um, their visual expression to another level. Yeah. Do you write all your own music? Yeah. Okay. How in the hell do you do that? I, I'm i always blown away. I mean, I understand the uh, uh, Bernie Taupin, uh, Elton relationship. One mm. does one thing, one does the other. Um, I've been a James Taylor freak forever. And he says he, he can't figure it out. It just comes to him. Mm. And he just writes it down. Mm -hmm. And he's got endless stories about how certain phrases turned into things. Do you go into a room and go, okay, this is what we're going to do? Or uh, how does this work? I'm always blown away by this. Yeah, I think just setting – well, I should also say that the last record, we did a bunch of co-writes, and um, and that was really fun and interesting and, and different. Um, but, yeah, I think you just, like, create a space, a time and space to be like, I'm going to go to my piano or guitar now and sit and try some stuff. And then, like, it does it, – something will come out a line or a melody and then you build you build off of it but 
It, I mean, very rarely is it like, I woke up from a dream and I, <laughs> and I have the song or like you're driving and suddenly like it just appears to you. I think that can happen, sure. But like, I think creating the time and space for it is what allows it to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Although we all have had the dream about the hit song and woke up and forgot the melody. <laughs> like, oh, what yeah. was that? <laughs> yeah. Do you ever get up in the middle of the night and write something down? I have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you look at it the next morning. See, what the like, hell was this? <laughs> yeah. This is not what I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. We have one song, Million Dollar Secret, started that way, though. Mm. But, I, yeah, I mean, making the time, like Holly said, and, and just nurturing the craft. And some days you have one line, and that's all that's going to come. And other days you, you know, write a whole entire song in 10 minutes. Yeah. Those are usually the best ones, honestly. Really? Yeah, like like James Taylor said, like it's just the thing that just comes out is the thing that was always meant to be there. Mm-hmm. Huh. It always feels like the songs that were, you know, there forever. Yeah. And usually when you when you decide, "Oh, I want to write this type of song," it it like doesn't, doesn't happen. happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to mention some names. Uh we mentioned uh, Roger Waters, uh Harry Styles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about that. How'd that happen? Um, well, we were working with Jeff Basker, right? Yeah. Um, Who produced some of the record for Harry. Yeah. And he had called us in to do a, a writing session. So we went in and did a writing writing session with Harry Styles. And he was, yeah, very likable, very humble guy. He was yeah. um, really fun to work with. We ended up singing on a track of his. Um, and <laughs> Jackson Brown, one of my favorites. Oh my gosh. So we actually, um, Cameron Crowe was doing a, a TV show called Roadies mm-hmm. and asked us to come, which was about life on the road. And he had a bunch of different musicians and bands, um, come and guest star on the show, including us and Jackson. And we were in one episode and then he actually asked us to come back and do a collab with Jackson. So in our, um, in Jackson's dressing room was the first time we sang together. But yeah. it was um, Willen. Willen, yeah, Little hmm. Feet, and um, Cameron really was the one that that made that happen. And and from there, we went on tour with Jackson. He's just the loveliest. We went on tour with him. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that must have been. Fantastic. It was awesome. Yeah. He sounds exactly the same today as he always has he to does. me. Yeah. And he's so lovely. Yeah. Um, and he really nurtures relationships with artists who are, you know, younger artists. Mm-hmm. He um he really supports, he shows up. You know, we've had shows that he comes out to sing huh. with us and um, love hearing that with the mm-hmm. Watson mm-hmm. family and yeah, he's just awesome. Way cool. Yeah. Mavis Staples, you got to tell me about that. <laughs> Holy mackerel. Newport, uh, yeah. Newport Folk Festival. Yeah. Um, she's We awesome. asked her to come sing with us on a song, and she- She did, She huh? learned she it, did. and it was- Oh, my. Yeah, it was heavenly. That we had did, to be We sang magic. on some- What was the festival we sang with her when none of the monitors were working? Eau Claire. Yeah, we, we did Eau Claire Festival, and she was doing it, and she asked us to sing um, on her set. So- we were side stage and 
she's playing her set and then it's our turn to go up and she calls us over and she whispers to us, none of the monitors are working. So just pretend it's a backyard barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) And then and she was so like just with it. She was so, so pro, you know, it's like nothing's working and the show's going on, ladies, you know. Well, she's 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 been there. She's seen it all. I was going to say. If anybody's been there and done it all, that's her. And wow, that's She's been so great. great. Absolutely. I saw Cheryl Crow with uh, James Taylor a couple years ago with the Hollywood Bowl. Tell me about that. Oh, she's just the absolute coolest. She's exactly who you wish her to be. Oh, that's so good to hear. Um, and talk about supporting younger artists. We She had a, a duets record that she asked us to be a part of, and we came and sang at her home studio and... Um, and then she said, you know, anytime you want to come and stay with me and use the studio and write or record or whatever, my house is your house. And so when we were hmm. getting ready to write for Second Nature, our hmm. last record, um, we took her up on the offer and we went and wrote at her house. And some of the some of our favorite songs from the record we recorded in her living room piano. Mm-hmm. Good grief. Yeah. Okay, I have a mad crush on Sarah Bareilles. Tell me about this. <laughs> <laughs> me too. She's very fashionable. Uh, she is. She is. Uh, tell me about that experience. I mean, uh, good grief. We for it started by opening up for her on tour. Yeah, and then we just became. She's just an absolute gem of a human. Mm-hmm. She actually sang me down the aisle. She did. Yeah. Um. Wow. Which was just such an honor, and she. Um, She's just the greatest singer, absolutely incredible instrumentalist, vocalist, um, just such a professional. Seems yeah. so real, though. When I see her on interviews, yeah, she yeah. just there's no pretension. Absolutely. Uh, she's just who she is. She yeah. is. And, and she's just got so much talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, waitress. Yeah. All of it is just, it's astonishing. Yeah. Um, she's so open with her insecurities and and struggles and all of that. That's stuff. what I think really is so endearing. That. Yeah, yeah. She yeah. just talks about everything. Yeah, and has been very open to everybody about everything. Yeah, and there's something magical about that. Totally. You know. Yeah. Uh, you're secure, and yet you're not, and yeah. yet yeah. you're willing to talk about it. Yeah. Which could be helpful to so many other people. So helpful. Yeah. You know? So that's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your relationship with Brandy Carlisle. This is fascinating to me. I mean, one minute you're singing backup for her, and now she's singing backup for you. <laughs> We, uh, gosh, I, I, you know, I, I think the first time we sang together was actually at some random festival in Idaho. Yeah. Um, but we had, you know, we share similar circles. So we had a lot of mutual friends prior and then we just became fast friends and again, got back to Newport Folk Festival. She sang on our set. We sang on hers. We've been on tour with her now maybe like 10 times. I mean, yeah. a hmm. lot a lot of singing together. And um she seems to really admire and respect you guys. She's just a, a she is such a community um leader. You know, mm-hmm. and everything is about community to her and um and we're just lucky that she's always welcomed us in her inner circle and has wanted us to be a part of everything she does and that includes you know, her when she um, took on the most challenging task of um, doing the Blue Album at Disney Hall. Yeah. And then nurturing that relationship with Joni Mitchell. Um, and from there, you know, we've become a, a small group of people who've been a part of Joni's 
musical recovery, really. Yeah, I got I, that's next on the list here. <laughs> How did that happen? I mean, I guess through Brandy, but but you're sitting in the room with Joni Mitchell. Okay, when I was in high school, she was it. Okay, mm-hmm. and there was nobody more magical, and and everybody had given her up and thought. You know, she's not going to make it. Mm. And she's made this insane recovery. Tell me about that experience. You, you, I, did you go to her house or something that I read? Yeah, we've been going to her house for the last five years. Yeah, <clears throat> I guess so. So yeah. you knock on the door and Jody Mitchell answers and, and, and explain that to me, will you please? Actually, we knocked on the door once and Paul McCartney answered. No! <laughs> Seriously? And he yeah. said, I'm the welcoming committee. Oh, my. And what do you say? Hamana, hamana, hamana. Paul McCartney's there. And what was he doing? Just hanging or were they going to sing? Or yeah, what? we all sat in a circle in Joni's living room, which is what happens every time. We eat dinner. Yeah. We... So who else has been in those music circles? <laughs> it's almost always us, Brandy and the twins, um, uh, Blake Mills on guitar, Salise um, Henderson, um, uh Allison Russell's off in there. Um, Taylor Goldsmith. Taylor Goldsmith from Dawes. And who who are we forgetting? Marcus Mumford. Hmm. And then there's always the rotating cast of uh, Annie Lennox, Elton John. So Elton John just drops over and... Meryl Streep. (laughs) No, come (laughs) on. Yeah. (laughs) Kathy... Ellen DeGeneres. Ellen DeGeneres, Kathy Bates, Harry Styles. Yeah. Yeah. and do you ever just look at each other and go, what the hell are we doing here? I mean, uh, uh, I mean Elton and Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. Our first, our first a trip. Joni Jam. Um, we walked in. It was a Christmas party. This was pre-COVID. And we hear somebody in the other room, which ended up being Joni's living room. Now, now we know the sort of maze of the house. But at the time, we had heard this voice and we... We thought it was a recording or something. Yeah. We couldn't believe it. And she was singing at last and we get in there and there's Shaka Khan <laughs> yeah. sitting at the piano singing at last. Good grief. Like, okay. Yeah. Next time you <laughs> so, do one of these, call me. I'll drop off a pizza because I just, you know, that's yeah. just crazy to sit there. And yeah. she's doing all right. Huh? I mean, her health seems to be back she's to normal. She's just so yeah. sharp. She remembers everything. Really? I mean, I can't to such a... Level of detail that is astounding. Both her and Roger Waters have like the most insane memories of anybody I've ever met in my life. I Based think. on all the drugs that were happening back in that era, I'm surprised <laughs> I can remember their names, but yeah. that's fascinating. So, I, especially, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's astounding. Yeah. So she, she remembers just the most huh. wonderful details of like stories, random yeah. stories. Yeah, I just want to sit and listen to those people because what they have in their head, you know, unless somebody's writing it down or or taping it, you know, it's not going to get passed on unless you guys listen and say, I was at Joni's house one day and she told me the story. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And and that's, boy, what what an honor, what a privilege to to have that going on for you. Her house is covered in paintings that she's done. They're all her paintings except Hmm. for one. And she remembers every, if you ask her, I mean, hundreds of paintings. Yeah. Even the murals on the wall she's painted. Mm-hmm. And um, she remembers every story at such a length for every painting. It's, it is it is like a photograph, you know. Um, she considers herself a painter first, actually. So, really? Yeah. Music business is so insane. Um, 
I started collecting bootleg albums 100 years ago, and I have this one with uh, Joni and James Taylor. They were both 12. Um, sound fantastic. But it's like being in your living room. You know, they're, well, what do you want to do next? Or, you know, oh, I thought we were going to do this. And they start a song and then they stop and they go, oh, we should, you know, it, it's just, oh my God, I just can't tell you how much I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And And the fact that you get to participate in mm. that magical career. Wow. It, yeah. You know, there's yeah. not many people I could imagine and who you... And such a human level, like somebody going through, you know, brain aneurysm and and finding their voice again, yeah. you know, literally and figure, figuratively. Yeah. Um, such a firm reminder of how important art and music is and what magic it can create. It's been really sort of one of the great honors of our, not just careers, but lives. Yeah. Just on a totally human level, mm-hmm. seeing somebody make leaps and bounds from, you know, in a recovery. Yeah. It's just, it's very special. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. just crazy. We talk on the show a lot about overcoming obstacles. Mm. What's the biggest obstacle you guys have had to overcome? I mean, has it been an easy road when you think back, you go, well, this wasn't too bad. We didn't have to struggle too much. Or were there times where you went, the hell are we doing? Why Why do we think this is, you know, you both seem so positive, mm. like it was just going to happen. And it was, you know, you're waiting for the person in the right place at the right time to find you and say, oh, yeah, these are the ladies that need to go to the next step. So were there ever any times where you just went, oh God, this, this just sucks. We got to do something else. Yeah, I think like Holly was saying earlier, having each other to push forward and to give inspiration when the other needed it um, has been has been a lucky thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it is hard to be away for long periods of time from your family, from just you know being at home in your own bed. Um, yeah, people don't get that. Uh, you know, you go on tour and you're on a bus yeah. for months at a time, and now you've mm-hmm. got one baby and a baby on the way, mm-hmm. Holly, and uh, you just got married again. Mm-hmm. You're splitting your time, what, Nashville, L.A.? Mm-hmm. Uh, your husband gets, I guess, what he what he got into uh, as far <laughs> as touring and all that stuff. He loves it. He loves it, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I always say, I'm gonna, in, uh, in June, I'm going to be married 50 years, and people say, well, how the hell did you do that? And I say, I've only been home 15 of them, you know? <laughs> I was always on the road. Yeah. I'm getting ready to... Uh, I'm doing a show off Broadway and, and uh, I'm going to be in New York for five months and I'm going to, you know, my wife will be there maybe once during the whole period because of things going on in our lives. Mm. And somehow it almost works, I think, uh, in so many ways. Mm. Uh, because then when you do see each other, you go, oh man, this is fantastic. Um, but not everybody can do it. Right. And you have to have the right mate and the the right, uh, the right everything. Yeah. Um, you know, what's the best part about being Lucius? I think camaraderie. Yeah. And collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like you you say about overcoming obstacles, it's kind of like there are always going to be obstacles. And um, some people handle them better than others. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's kind of, you know, being away from your family or being all these things that we do. It's it's we we grow accustomed to them. We've make it work you know you figure out how to make it work instead of like looking at it as this obstacle that you're gonna get over because you're never gonna get over it because we're doing it you know and so 
I think having that understanding with each other and the other thing is like kind of parallel to that is that in the beginning we never really set like a specific grand like goal. It was just we want to create together and we want to keep doing that. And so how does how do we make that work and how does it look and how how does it grow? Mm -hmm. um, and so it feels linear even when there's things in the way. And I think that's the that's been really important for us to all have that kind of outlook on it to to propel it forward. Yeah. When you're touring, what cities do you love to go to? Mm. Well, sometimes hometown is the best. <laughs> yeah, not that often, unfortunately. I mean, when you do overseas, I mean, are there certain audiences uh, in certain countries that are better than others, or? Well, on the on the Pink Floyd run. Um, you know, being in South and Central America is absolutely insane and fun. People are so passionate. Um, they're not spoiled like we are in the U.S., you know, um, in terms of like, you know, they just they don't get in, in L.A. You can see a different concert every single night, every night. Um, and, you know, if you don't get it tonight, three weeks later, they'll be back. Exactly. So people wait you know, years to see one show hmm. and you can see it in their faces. You can feel it. Um, and that's really exciting and, um, beautiful. Um, but I think just, you know, there's one thing going somewhere new is so exciting because you get to experience a culture and food and, um, the pulse of a, of a different place. And then also just going returning to some place and seeing familiar faces yeah. is equally rewarding and if not more rewarding. Is there a place you haven't performed that you'd like to perform? I mean, have you done Red Rocks or something? We want to go to Japan. Yeah. Oh, we, really? We haven't been to Asia at all. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be really cool. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. It will happen. Yeah. It will happen. Yeah. So uh, don't have to answer this question. You can and you don't have to. Um, married to the drummer, mm -hmm. got a divorce, mm -hmm. still in the band. Mm -hmm. Easy, hard, doesn't make any All difference. Of it. Um, <laughs> no, it 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 was. I mean, it's wonderful. Danny's such a, an amazing talent and was a big part of our sound, especially when we started recording a real record. Um, he was just such an enabler and helpful in creating something um, cohesive, and has been an important figure in the band. You know, since. Since we, since the two of us uh, wanted to have a, a full band, and um, and also it's been challenging to um, to go through such a difficult thing um, as divorce, you know, um, in when when you share your work and life when everything's sort of intertwined. Mm -hmm. um, but I think actually the blessing of COVID was that we couldn't tour. Mm -hmm. So we needed that time off and we were given that time to really have space and reflect and actually sort of dive into um, healing, you know. And so because of that, we were able to come back together as a creative unit and it be okay. 
very grown up thing to do. Not everybody could do it. No, but mm. you have to you have to want it. But if yeah. you want it, you can you can, you can do it. Yeah. yeah. I Absolutely. think you know, I think it's archaic to think like just because you don't have a romantic relationship, you have to lose that person from your life. Right. Like why why? Yeah. I mean, you don't have to. It was not a nasty relationship. It just got to a point where we weren't Yeah. Communicating from, in the same way that you we weren't, do. we weren't meant to be married, you know? Yeah. We're meant to be um, collaborators mm. in another way. And luckily, we have partners who are supportive of that. And it's actually great. My husband and Danny get along really well. Which is cool. So cool. So you get married, and, and who else was at this wedding who <laughs> sang you down Ollie. the aisle? Good God. <laughs> and my godson. Um Emily King. Emily King sang, and Nathaniel Rateliff sang her first dance, Louis Cato. Um, who else? Well, a lot, of, been fun. Lot, of, <laughs> lot of music. Yeah, so fun. It, it must have been unbelievable. So fun. It was. Yeah. But Paul McCartney wasn't there to welcome No, him. Paul McCartney. <laughs> I invited him, but I never heard he back. He didn't show up. <laughs> so the tour leaves uh, momentarily. Mm -hmm. uh, you book for the whole year? Are you taking time off? You're having a baby. When's the baby mm -hmm. due? May. May okay, 22nd. so you'll be taking that time off. Yes. And then how, how much downtime? So you'll go till maybe April on this tour? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then uh, we'll have a baby and then back next back year, end of, end of the year, yeah. fourth quarter, something like yeah, that. We'll figure yeah. it out. Yeah. <laughs> a couple months later. Yeah. Best part about being Lucius is? I think having, being able to evolve as a human, as an artist with somebody else by your mm -hmm. side. Mm -hmm. Um, being able to do what what you love and ha make a career of it, yeah, and make your own guideline for what that means and what that looks like. I always say I've never worked a day in my life because I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do, and I always feel sorry for the person who gets up and goes, "Oh God, I got to go do this today." I've never felt that way, and obviously, mm -hmm. you don't feel that way. I mean, there's days. Uh, <laughs> so, well, we don't have it. Well, you have a, an audience that sucks, and you're going, you know, was it me? Was it them? Yeah. You know, back when I was doing stand-up, you know, you'd work the comedy store, and it would be a night on a Tuesday that was just fantastic, and you'd be all excited, and you go Wednesday night at 10 o'clock, and, and, you, and you bombed, and you go, what the hell? You know? Yeah. Did all those people come together and suck together, or was it me? I mean, you, you question all that stuff. Yeah. You ever done a show where you said, oh, that, that we weren't good that night? Or oh, yeah. Yeah, really? yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Lisbon, Portugal, oh worst show, show of our of our lives. Because, history. oh God, the, you know, well, the sound was all off. All the the sound check. There was no sound check, right? Because they no. were couldn't like, get things wired correctly. No sound. It check. It was a festival, so there was oh. no real sound check to begin with. And on top of it, they didn't know what they were doing. So. And we knew that there were other, you know, cool bands like out there hearing this just like complete. Train yeah, the rest. national was, was all like, on the um, the side of our the side stage. It was awful. People, it was so bad that somebody <laughs> on Facebook after the fact said that it was like the most terrible. Sh Remember, someone really? like commented like that was a terrible show. <laughs> we were just like. Sometimes it's well, out of your there control. It is though. confirmed. <laughs> you know, it was the worst show of our of our careers. Yeah, you knew right away because as soon as I said it, you, you, you oh, went yeah. to that. Oh yeah. Amazing. I mean, at least it was... we got some really good seafood after though. <laughs> yeah, they have good seafood in. Uh, oh yeah, in Ramiro's. Lisbon. Yeah. Have you been Have you been to Lisbon? Yes, I have. They use a lot of passion fruit there as well, which I love. But uh, oh, yeah. the fish there was, was oh, pretty remarkable. Oh, my gosh. Remarkable. So good. <laughs> oh, um, my God. So at least we had that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's amazing. The website is? 
I love Lucius.com. Yeah. And the name Lucius comes from? My dog, (laughs) Lucius. When you were growing up, you had a dog named Lucius? He was an English bulldog, and he had one tooth that stuck out and an underbite. And he could open and close doors with his paws, but then he would run into walls. So he was sort of an anomaly, and we like we liked the humor of it. And there you go. And and when you're doing this initially, and you're signing the contract, do people go, I don't know, Lucius? That's that's. A, do they ever question that, or did you just say, you know, this is what we're doing, we're sticking with it? Only one person ever questioned it, and we didn't listen. <laughs> yeah. Good yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fine. Yeah, yeah. It, it really has, hasn't it? <laughs> well, hitting twenty years. Yeah. Uh, look forward to the next 20. Thank you. Continue success. Travel safely. Thank happy, you. healthy baby. And congratulations on the new wedding. And uh, don't forget, next time you're at Joni's house, give me a call. Okay. <laughs> uh, we've been talking to Lucius. Uh, been dropping in music along the way. Uh, get a chance to see him live. Please do. You'll uh, you'll love it. Back uh, next week with more Mark Summers Unwraps. Thanks for listening. Mark Summers Unwraps is a production of Believe Limited. Created by me, Mark Summers, and Jessica Richmond. Produced by Keith Corneluk and Jessica Richmond. Executive produced by Patrick James Lynch and Ryan Geelan. Post-production support from Joshua Sterling Bragg and Believe Limited. Don't forget to subscribe or follow the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you really love it, why don't you leave us a rating and a review? Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Mark Summers Unwraps. Unwraps.